I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, okay, $25 million, I'm not making that amount of revenue, or I'm not collecting the data of that many people. But if you really actually look at what you collect, you might be surprised. Really make sure that it doesn't apply to you and make a conscious decision with that. And don't just say, oh, well, I'm just small potatoes. It's not a big deal. And this is GRC and Me, where we interview industry thought leaders in governance, risk, and compliance on hot topics, industry-specific challenges, trends, and more to learn about their methods, solutions, and outlook in the space. On today's episode of GRC and Me, I have a very special guest. She's the president of Termageddon. She's also an experienced corporate and data privacy attorney. Donata is a certified information privacy professional, and she has a background working with the Illinois State Bar Association with customers to help them create policies to keep their business protected. So Donata has a really interesting background of why she became a lawyer. She came from an immigrant family, and her father came to the United States from Lithuania when he was in his late 20s. And she came to the U.S. when she was 12. Her father did not speak English, and he was getting married. So he asked Donata to come to a meeting with his lawyer to translate. Well, she'd never met a lawyer before, so she asked a lot of questions about how he got into law, about his profession, and his education. She says she wishes that she could remember the name of that attorney who inspired her and his openness to answer questions to speak with someone so young about his profession. And it really inspired her to go to college, study law, and become a practicing attorney. So, Donata, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, very excited to talk about this stuff today. All right. So let's get into this. So based on your experience, we're excited to hear from you what's been going on with the regulations, whether it's GDPR to CCPA. So I'd love to begin today on a high level. What is the purpose of CCPA? Yeah, so it kind of, at least in my opinion, it has a couple different purposes. So the main purpose would be to further Californians' right to privacy uh, by giving them a way to control their personal information and by giving them certain rights. So the legislature found that Californians are very interested in protecting and safeguarding their privacy. Um, You know, that kind of goes for the rest of the country as well. But since it's California legislature, that's what they're focusing on. So they were interested in keeping pace with technology developments and the privacy implications of those developments and to protect Californian consumers from unauthorized disclosure of personal information and the loss of privacy. Um, So one of the things that I thought was very interesting with the CCPA is that, you know, the, the legislators and the people who actually wrote it you know, named the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And that's kind of really what I think spurred all of these legislative changes right now, not just in California, but in other states as well, is the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. Mm -hmm. And in regards to CCPA, do you know how long the bill had been in the works and who or what was behind its support? Yeah, so it really wasn't in the works for very long, right? When you think about... GDPR and Mm -hmm. some of the other laws, you know, they were in the works for years um, to come to an agreement, but California kind of did it a little bit differently. So in 2018, there was a real estate developer who spearheaded an effort to include a new privacy law, Hmm. the Consumer Right to Privacy Act of 2018. 
and it was added on the November 2018 ballot because there were so many people that were interested in it. Mm -hmm. So California legislature, you know, they didn't really like the Consumer Right to Privacy Act of 2018. There's a lot of rights that consumers got with that act. It was very, you know, some people would say that it was very unfriendly to businesses. Mm -hmm. So basically what they did is they negotiated past the CCPA instead in exchange for an agreement to drop the Consumer Right to Privacy Act from the ballot. Mm. So it really wasn't on the ballot for long. It passed on June 28th. So it was in the works for approximately three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Now, you know, those three weeks, there's a lot going on and they had to draft the whole thing and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people are arguing that because it was such a short amount of time, the law itself is a little bit confusing. Um, so there's drafting errors, there's mm. spelling errors, there's things that are not clarified. It's very broad and it's unclear whether or not the legislature actually intended it to be that way or whether or not those are drafting errors that mm. were caused by the short timeline of this bill. So a lot of the people who support this bill are obviously privacy activists, consumers. There's some legislatures so Ed Chow, who's a member of the California State Assembly, and Robert Hertzberg, uh, who's a state senator, were the main uh, legislatures behind the law. That is really interesting. And you mentioned it because it was drafted in a broad context. So I think some folks, whether it's businesses or consumers, their question is, you know, who does this apply to? So could you just share to whom do you think the CCPA regulations apply to? Yeah. Um, so it applies for any for-profit legal entity. So like LLC, corporation, partnership that collects consumers' personal information that does business in California and then meets one of three uh, different kind of factors. So if they have annual gross revenue above $25 million, if they annually buy, receive, or share the personal information of 50,000 or more consumers, households, or devices, mm -hmm. or if they derive 50% or more of their annual revenues from selling the personal information of consumers. And consumers are defined as California residents. So it seems like it would apply mostly to really large businesses or businesses that deal in a lot of data on a frequent basis or businesses that sell personal information. And so you mentioned consumers are defined as California residents. So how does the CCPA affect those consumers today? Yeah, so the CCPA provides certain rights to consumers or California residents. The rights are knowing what personal information is being collected about them. Mm -hmm. So having proper and clear disclosures and like privacy policies and things like that know whether that personal information is sold or disclosed and to who, California consumers have the right to say no to the sale of their personal information. Mm -hmm. They have the right to access their personal information. And then they also have the right to equal service and price, even if they exercise their privacy rights. So you can't discriminate against somebody because they asked you not to sell their information. Mm, okay. Yeah. So it sounds really similar to GDPR legislation and the requirements there. So what would you say are the fundamental differences between CCPA from GDPR? So the laws are, you know, they're pretty similar. GDPR was created to protect the fundamental rights and freedoms of people. 
and the right to the protection of personal data, which is very similar to CCPA. But the GDPR was also created to provide a single set of rules that apply to every country in the EU to reduce confusion over different regulations. Um, And that's obviously not the case in the United States or with the CCPA. CCPA kind of follows just Californians, um, you know, and it doesn't prescribe a larger set of rules for the whole country. But there's a couple other, you know, larger differences than that. Um, So the CCPA has a limitation on who it applies to uh, in terms of revenue or sale of personal data or collection of personal data. GDPR is a lot broader in application than the CCPA. Uh, GDPR also does not include a specific right to opt out as a sale of personal data, and CCPA does. But under GDPR, you could probably get a similar effect by exercising other rights, such as the right to restrict processing. GDPR also includes a right to have your data transferred to another data processor. Uh, CCPA only requires businesses to provide access to that data. I think that's actually a very interesting concept because, you know, I've been reading a lot about people saying, if you have the right to data portability, that would mean that you could actually leave services that abuse your rights. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could take all the data that Facebook has on you Mm -hmm. and you could have them transfer it onto another social networking platform. And then you could have Facebook delete that data that they had on you and you could effectively you know, easily move to another service, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really is. Yeah. And the CCPA does not include a right to correct data uh, that is incorrect. And GDPR does have that. CCPA does not include the right to restrict processing, except for the sale of data. And GDPR does include such a right. Um, So I think with the CCPA, it's kind of a lot more narrow in terms of what you can prohibit a business from doing with your data. CCPA does not have the right to object to automated decision-making, and GDPR does have that. Mm. And then the approach to calculating fines and penalties are different between the two laws. So the CCPA is a lot more clear-cut about exactly what penalty applies um, in what context. And GDPR is a lot more broad. There's a lot more room for decision-making in terms of what kind of a fine should apply to this business. Mm -hmm. And now when it comes to penalty provisions, what types of penalty provisions would you say the CCPA holds today? Penalties under CCPA are $2,500 per violation and $7,500 per intentional violation. Um, So it's kind of interesting that, you know, there is a set number that's applied um, to you know, the loss of your data or to the misuse of your data. Now, the CCPA also provides a private right of action for anyone whose data has been breached as a result of, you know, poor security practices, but it does not have a private right of action for just data abuses, which is also a very hot topic right now uh, to talk about private right of action. And, you know, some states have proposed laws that have a private right of action, But, you know, a lot of business interests are fighting against that. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, if a law does pass with a private right of action and then, you know, what enforcement of that looks like and how quickly data privacy lawyers or corporate lawyers kind of start suing under that. Mm -hmm. So what do you think in practicality, what would be the top three to five things a company might want to do today to ensure compliance? 
one of the most important things, and, and maybe we won't count this as one of the three, um, is to actually start thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the law goes into effect uh, January 1st, uh, but enforcement starts on July 1st, 2020. Okay. And, you know, that seems like a very far way away kind of, but it really isn't. Um, you know, preparation should be started now because it does take a long time to do all of this. Uh, but I think the first thing people should do is make sure they're providing clear and adequate disclosures as to what information they collect, who they share that information with, and what they do with that information. So transparency is very important to consumers right now. And you want to make sure that you're clear about what's happening to personal information. Because if you're not clear, then there's room for interpretation and people can misunderstand, you know, and, and get upset about, you know, things that are happening that you might have disclosed, but not disclosed as clearly. Or, you know, if you don't have any kind of privacy policy or any kind of communication about what uh, you do with private information, you know, that can actually lead to sales slowdowns and and things like that. And people not actually purchasing products or services from you Mm -hmm. because, you know, they see that you don't really care about that. And it is something that they do actually really care about now, um, which is a huge shift, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think you should make sure that you have a full and complete understanding of who you share information with. Um, So you have to disclose who you share information with. So you do have to make sure that you're not sharing information with somebody who is using that information questionably or has had a track record of privacy violations. Um, So understanding the practices of each vendor that you use compiling risk assessments and making sure that your contracts adequately cover those risks um, is something that I would say would be extremely important because you don't want to be held liable for a vendor who misused data because Mm -hmm. if you didn't vet them properly, if you didn't do the right risk assessments, you know, or continuously did them, that's something that can fall back on you. Mm -hmm. And then also preparing for data subject requests Um, So make sure that your IT infrastructure is set up correctly so that you're able to access the full amount of data provided to you by a person um, and that you can easily provide that person with access to that data. That's something that GDPR covers as well. Um, And I know that some companies did dry runs before uh, the effective date of GDPR. So basically someone in your team at a random date, random time, sends you like a fake data subject request and your team has to respond to that subject request promptly and accurately. And kind of doing a dry run exercise of that, I think would be really helpful for businesses because they can see where they're failing. They can see which staff need more training. They can see if they need, you know, additional software that they can use um, and things like that. So that's something that I would definitely recommend as well. That's great, Donata. Those are really good tactical tips, I think, that people could start doing now to be prepared for that. So that's great. Thanks for sharing that with our listeners. And now when it came to the EU regulators to really impose GDPR, we'll say punishment, it took a while. So do you think it'll take the same amount of time for U.S. regulators and the CCPA for action to be applied? Do you think action will be swifter for the punishment or the fines to be affecting the companies that are outside of compliance? So it really kind of depends, right, on what the public opinion is at the time. I know with GDPR, it took a while to actually 
find companies and, and do all of that. But on day one of GDPR, there's actually a lot of complaints filed. And, you know, you can tell that with public opinion, things change, mm-hmm. right? So if the public opinion on data abuses is what it is now, I would say that the attorney general is going to have to act swiftly in terms of bringing enforcement. So there's a lot more interest of consumers in terms of protecting their data right now. Um, So it is possible that people will be submitting requests early on, which means that infringements are going to happen early on. uh, And then the attorney general is going to have to enforce the law early on as well. So that kind of goes back to your previous question as well. You know, I think companies should be ready to receive and answer data subject requests on July 1st, or actually January 1st, because that's when it goes into effect. So I really would say that, you know, public opinion is what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's very against data abuses. It's very against the collection and sale of private information. So I really hope that this is not a law that's going to be sitting on the shelf and collecting dust. Um, but considering the current data and privacy climate, I would say that that would be unlikely, that it's just going to sit there and nobody's going to enforce it for a while. I would say that enforcement is likely early on. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would hope so, too. Now, do you think that the CCPA is a bellwether for broader federal regulations to come? This is just the beginning of a wave of future regulations. I know there's been talks of SB 220 and NYPA. What do you think? Is this a trend that'll be happening? Yeah, so... A lot of states are copying CCPA in their proposed laws. So there's actually, I believe it's 10 states right now that have their own proposed bills on the books um, that are being considered. I do think that a lot of states will go that way. I think in terms of the federal government, federal regulators, they're taking notice as well. So some of the proposed federal laws, um, you know, cited the need for a blanket regulation concerning privacy You know, they cited California passing CCPA. They've cited other states proposing their own bills or passing their own privacy laws. And they're kind of moving towards the idea that we need a general federal law that applies to all states and possibly preempts the laws of the other states as well. You know, and there's also the industry interests that are kind of rebelling against the CCPA because they believe it's really harsh towards the industry and really restrictive and will stifle innovation, which, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much I buy that argument. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're pressuring the legislature to pass a more industry-friendly bill, whether that be on a state level or a federal level, uh, which I think would be interesting. I just read an article the other day saying how federal regulators are working through recess um, to try to mm-hmm. come up with some kind of federal privacy law Uh, which I think is really interesting. I mean, you never see them working through recess for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so it kind of really shows just how much the public cares about this and how much the public is pressuring them and how much industry interests are pressuring them as well. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. Are there any other trends that you predict that we will see at either at the consumer level or at the organization level? Yeah, so I think there's, you know, the overall trend is state laws versus federal laws. You know, what is going to be the law of the land? Um, Is each business going to have to somehow cobble up compliance considering, you know, 50 states 
privacy laws um, or is there going to be a federal law that kind of blankets all of that? You know, there's a very clear trend towards a disclosure and notice requirements. There's a trend away from the sale of data. I think that's something that people are especially upset about is the sale of their data for profit, not for actual need. And a lot of the laws and the bills that are being proposed name the sale of data very specifically as something that a consumer should have the right to opt out of, Mm -hmm. you know, and the trend towards accountability and responsibility um, and towards giving personal data some value, you know, there used to be, or this still kind of is that way. um, You know, the, the saying that your personal data has no value to you unless it was breached. Um, You know, you can't collect damages on a privacy breach unless it was used to steal your identity, unless there was actual damages. Um, And there's a lot of cases that cite that with actual damages, um, you know, in terms of, you know, identity theft and things like that, with saying that people can't get compensation if their data is just breached and not used by anyone for for something bad. Um, So I think we're moving away from that. We're moving more towards your data has value, regardless if it's stolen, regardless if something bad is done with it. So I think that's interesting. And I think very interesting thing that I've been seeing is the provision of rights that would normally apply to the consumers of all states and applying those rights to all consumers. Um, so when you run a website, it's kind of difficult to parse out, you know, who's from California, who's moved there, who's moved away from mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, and in some residents of, let's say, Illinois, um, you know, might not be very happy about residents from California getting all these privacy rights from a business, but then the residents from Illinois don't get it. So there are some websites that I've seen that parse out the rights by Californian consumers, or they have a separate policy for Californian consumers. But I've also seen policies that kind of group all consumers together and just give them all the rights, regardless of where they're located. Um, And I think that's very interesting as well. And I think that'll increase if there are more states that pass privacy laws, Mm -hmm. because it'll be really hard to parse out who's from where. And then also it'll be very long uh, privacy policy if you're kind of giving different rights to people who live in different states. Um, So I think that's something that'll be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I agree. And how folks stay proactive um, in the face of some of these changing legislations. So, Donata, would you share with us how do you work with organizations today with Termageddon? Yeah. um, So I'm the president of Termageddon and we generate privacy policies, terms of service and user license agreements and disclaimers. So our policies actually update automatically when the laws change. Um, So when the CCPA comes out, we'll be pushing an update to all policies. And basically, people don't have to do anything else, maybe answer a question or two, and they're set in terms of compliance for their privacy policy. And the way we work is basically you just sign up for an account, you answer a few questions. So for example, what information do you collect on your website? Who do you share it with? And then our system populates an embed code, which is then put on your website. And that basically shows your policies and allows us to automatically update them whenever the laws change. So we're a technology company, uh, but I'm the one who actually wrote all the policy questions and the text. And I'm the one who keeps up to date with all the laws and and tracks them and all of that. So that's been a really interesting job lately. Um, (laughs) You know, a couple of years ago, 
you know, there really wasn't anything going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had GDPR, uh, but that was pretty much it. And now, you know, like I have a privacy law tracker on a state and federal level, uh, you know, and that's on our website too, uh, which lists all the laws and everything. And then it's, it's a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. And share with us, what was the origin of creating your company? You know, what led you to say there should be a technology offering for folks to have policies that are updated? And what was the impetus behind beginning Termageddon? So before I began Termageddon, I was in private practice and I worked at a software development shop, you know, a long time before that. And, uh, you know, I kind of fell in love with the tech world Mm -hmm. and became really interested in it. And then I met my fiance, who used to own a web development agency as well. And we were just sitting one night over dinner and I used to write privacy policies for clients all the time. And he would have clients ask him what to do for a privacy policy. But, you know, they used to say, I I can't afford, you know, a thousand dollars to get this written for me. Um, And we were just kind of chatting over dinner and, you know, kind of saw the need for that. You know, I saw a lot of generators that would charge you extra if you wanted to put your policy on on your mobile website or charge you extra if you wanted to do limited liability. And I'm like, well, this isn't fair. You know, and, and he saw a lot of generators that were, you know, kind of getting some free money from web agencies and for referring their clients. He's like, well, that's not fair either. Um, so we kind of just combined the two and it just happened. Awesome. That's fantastic. So do you have any other tactical advice that you would recommend or any other takeaways that you'd share with the listeners today? I'd say have a clear understanding about how it impacts you and whether or not it impacts you. Um, I mean, it's very easy to say, okay, $25 million, I'm not making that amount of revenue or I'm not collecting the data of that many people. But if you really actually look at what you collect, um, you might be surprised. Um, So really make sure that it doesn't apply to you and make a conscious decision with that. And don't just say, oh, well, I'm just small potatoes. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your experience with CCPA. Until next time, this is Megan Fee with GRC and me.